Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. We're going to dive into the word this morning. Matthew chapter 6 is going to be our main text today. And uh, I did not talk with the worship team beforehand this week about, hey guys, play this song because it'd be really great for what we're going to talk about. The, the Lord just works this out. And so we're actually beginning a new series this morning on stewardship. I thought, you know, as summer's winding down, let's, let's do something light and refreshing. Let's talk about money, right? right that's light and, you know, I, I, here's why. My family, this summer, we have felt the stretch of every single dollar. Probably you have too, right? You, you go to the grocery store, you go to the gas pump, you get your bills in the mail, uh, your, your rent might have gone up or your housing expenses may have changed. Okay, this is a time where uh, because of inflation and just sort of the craziness of, the, of our economy right now that people are feeling the, the, the strain of money, okay? And here's the thing, you know this, every decision you make involves money. Every time you get in the car to drive, it involves money. Every time you, you turn that air conditioner down just one more degree because your house is too hot in the middle of the summer, right? You, you feel the pain. Every decision that we make is linked in some way to our financial lives. And there's a temptation for us to not talk about money in the church because nobody wants to be the church where it's like, oh, all they do is talk about money, okay? How many times have you heard Christians talk disparagingly of a church because they talked about money all the time, right? We, we, we feel that, and yet this is an area that Jesus talked about over and over and over again, and here's what I want you to know. There's really good news for us when it comes to our money and our possessions. God is a good giver, and his plan for us actually results in good things. And so in a time like this, I feel like more than ever, we need to talk about this, okay? So I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not here to shake the trees and get a few dimes out of people. And they're like, that's, our church is fine. Financially, we're great. That's not the kind of series that we're in. I want to equip you to be a disciple of Jesus with your money and possessions. Amen? All right, so here's what we're going to do this morning. I want to just talk about the first thing is that money matters to you. Money matters to you. And it's not going to take me any effort to convince you of this. Let's, let's just sort of imagine with me that you're applying for a job and it's, you're, you're going to apply to two companies and they're both equal companies. They're great companies. They're in the same field. It's the same job description. You go to the interview and the management is extremely likable in both places. You have a good friend at both places. It says, man, you got to come work here. It is fantastic. Right? You, it's like the, it's all lining up. You, you know, you're going to have the same benefits and all that. But the first company calls you and is like, hey, we love you. We'd love for you to work here. We're going to pay you $40,000 a year to do it. And you're like, okay. Second company calls you and says, we love you. We want you to work here. We can offer you $80,000 to work here. 
which one are you going to choose? Duh, right? If I were you, I'd go for the $80,000, okay? Because money matters to us, doesn't it? Right? We've already talked about how every decision we, we make is linked to money. I remember years ago, I was being pursued by a church, and I knew uh, that the Lord was calling us to go serve at that church. And I had not talked to them about money, because in the church world, it's a little bit different in that you want to make sure that you're not going for the wrong reasons, okay? So I, I wanted to make sure that I was going for the right reasons to this church, and so I was praying and, and going through all the, you know, seeking counsel and all that, and I knew it already decided, yes, we're going to go. I go to meet with the pastor of that church. We sit down, and, uh, you know, this is the moment where I'm going to tell him, and he says, hey, by the way, before uh, you give me your answer, you probably want to know, like, what we can offer you. And he apologetically gives me a salary number that was twice what I had been making before. And so I played along like, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, I guess it's all for Jesus, right? You know, and no, I'm just kidding. I, I just, but I didn't be like, ha, ha, you know, but inside I'm like, thank you, Jesus, right? I'm, I'm having a worship session in the, on the car ride home because I, I was blessed financially, and money matters to us. Right? It, it impacts everything that we do. But I want you to consider how does your faith connect to how you use your money? How does God instruct us to steward our money and our possessions? I, I want to just look at a couple passages before uh, we go to Matthew chapter 6. I, I want to just show you these. The first one is... Uh, John the Baptist, and you remember John the Baptist shows up on the scene before Jesus, right? He's going to prepare the way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, and he's this crazy guy with the camel hair, you know, garment, and he's eating crickets, and he's just like, you know, get right with Jesus. You know, he's, he's this figure that's calling people to, to repentance, and in Luke chapter 3, I think I've got this for you on the screen, it says this in verses 7 through 14, this is John the Baptist speaking, he then said to the crowds who came out to be baptized, by him, brood of vipers, bunch of snakes. Whoa, that's not you know an encouraging message. Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance, and don't start saying to yourselves, "We have Abraham as our father." He's talking to Jewish people who could lean on their heritage and say, "We're God's people." For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Verse 9, the axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I mean, wow, weighty words. And here's what they cry out. What then should we do? The crowds were asking him. He replied to them, the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. And the one who has food must do the same. Verse 12, tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He told them, don't collect any more than what you have been authorized. Verse 14, some soldiers also questioned him, what should we do? And he said to them, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. And what struck me 
about what John says is he's calling people to get right with God. He's, he's extending the heart of God saying, look, I, I want you to come back to me. People, come back to me and, and, and produce fruit that's in keeping with this change of heart, this repentance. And they say, what do we do? And he doesn't give them like a Bible reading plan or a prayer closet, you know, hey, go into your closet three hours a day and pray. That's how you're going to get right for God. He, he, he doesn't do any of those things. Rather, every single admonition that he gives them deals with their money and their possessions. Did you catch that? Share with the one in need. Don't collect any more than what you've been authorized. Don't extort money. He says, don't take, anyone by, don't take money from anyone by force. Or, so he, he's saying, look, you need to handle your money and, and possessions in a way that honors God. Wow. Another one, Malachi 3. You've probably heard about this. That Malachi is the, the last book of your Old Testament scriptures. And Malachi, by the way, is the one who prophesied about this Elijah that would come, the, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. He's talking about John the Baptist, and there's this point at the end where he's, he's giving this sort of like a, 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 a rebuke to the people of Israel. And he says, since the days of our ancestors, you have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can, how can we return? It sounds like the John the Baptist thing. What should we do? How can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You're suffering under a curse. Yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And get this, test me in this, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. It's the same thing. What do we do? God's saying, come back to me. Come back to me. Return to me, people. How? He says, you need to be generous towards God. You're, you're withholding from him. And again, money and possessions are tied to a relationship with God. And so here's the second thing that I think we need to understand. Not only does money matter to us, but money matters to God. He cares about how you and I use the things that he entrusts to us. He cares about that. And he calls us to honor him with our money and our possessions. He even says things like this. Try it out. Test me in this. And here's my prayer. Is that as we, over the next few weeks, as we talk about how we handle money in the way that honors God, that you would take God up on this test me word. 
that in this season where things are stretched and, and things are difficult, that, that we would each consider how we might test out the ways of the Lord and try it. Because here's what's going to happen, and I believe this with all of my being, it's been the experience of my life, is that if we will honor God with what he's given to us, we will experience greater joy and peace in our lives, absolutely. Amen? Y'all hate me yet? No, you don't. Thank you. I'm so glad you don't hate me yet. Here's the problem. Is that we can be just Christian enough, just Christian enough, to know I'm saved by grace and not by works, right? And it's all his anyways. The, it all belongs to him. The earth belongs to him. All the things of the earth belong to him already. He doesn't need my stuff. So functionally, we live like it doesn't really matter to God how we use the things that he's entrusted to us. And here's the problem with that is that everything in the scripture says the very opposite. He cares about what we do with our money and possessions. It matters to him. So in Matthew chapter six, we're gonna dive into the teachings of Jesus. This is the Sermon on the Mount. We cannot overstate the importance and significance of the Sermon on the Mount in the life of Jesus. Some people say that the point of the Sermon on the Mount was to, to make obedience so hard and so impossible that nobody could do it. We would all say, oh, we need grace, which that is true. It does do that. But I don't agree with this idea that it's unattainable. I believe that Jesus gave us this teaching to say, this is what it looks like when heaven touches earth. When we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I think if we were to look at the Sermon on the Mount and we were to begin to apply this to our lives, this is what heaven coming into the earth looks like, okay? Matthew chapter six, we're gonna start in verse 19. Here's what he says. This is Jesus speaking. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Just context. In this time period, when he's talking about the eye, the eye had to do with the concept of stinginess. That, that you would look at life in such a way that you're always worried about money and so you're not generous with God or with people. You're stingy. You're overly consumed with storing up for yourself. And so it, it creates like a, a view of life that is bad, dark, is what he's saying. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Verse 25, he keeps going. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you, by adding one moment to his lifespan, by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. Verse 30, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. So this this teaching of Jesus is full of things that have to do with our money, in our possessions, and what I want us to consider is why should it matter to you? We know that money matters to you. We've just learned that money matters to God. But why should what Jesus teaches us about money matter to you? Well, the first thing is this. Verses 19 through 20, he begins by talking about this concept of storing up for ourselves treasures on earth. And so that that word treasure, it's like don't put treasure in the treasury. If you you look at the Greek, it's it's um, this concept of of almost like a treasure chest. In fact, when the the three magi come to Jesus when he's just a a baby and they come to him and they follow the star, right? You you know the story from Christmas. They follow the star and it says they open up their treasuries, meaning it's like they had a, a treasure chest full of stuff and they give him gold, right? Myrrh, frankincense. And so this concept is that you're, you're, going to, you're going to collect these money and possessions and, and valuable things, and you're going to store them up like in a storehouse. And he says, look, don't do that on earth. And here's the thing, because worldly wealth is incredibly insecure. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? Inflation, uh, we have all kinds of, of natural disasters that happen. Your water heater breaks down and it's like, poof, there goes the savings account, right? You know, we just have things that happen in life and we begin to realize that all the stuff of earth is very fragile. It's insecure. And I think we're feeling that more than ever. And the first reason why we need to consider God's plan for money and possessions is that it ensures our true prosperity. If you view God as someone who's just trying to take your stuff, oh, you want me to follow you now and just take all my things, cool, great, you're really awesome. 
If that's your heart, if that's your attitude, if that's your view of God, I, I, I just want to just invite you to flip that upside down. Because what Jesus is saying is, look, all the stuff that you're, you're striving for, that you're working so hard for, the things that you're trying to store up for yourselves, it's really, really insecure down here. And here's the other thing he says. You can actually store up for yourself treasures in heaven. It, it, it can also be translated, translated as you're going to make a deposit. So when you deposit money into your account, he's saying, look, there's a way that you can live your life that you're actually going to be making deposits in the life to come. Now, as grace people, we struggle with this concept, okay? Because we're like, what? I'm saved by grace. Jesus paid it all. Like, what are you talking about? All over the New Testament, there is a concept of reward, at the beginning of the sermon, Jesus says, hey, don't give for everyone to see. In fact, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing because your father who sees what is done in secret, well, what's, what's the word right there? He will reward you. He will reward you. Your father who sees what you're doing with things down here on earth is going to reward you there. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, Paul, he's talking to them about giving and collections for the, for the church. And he says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And if you're a good prosperity teacher, you'd be like, you need to sow your seed today, right? Put in $1,000 and you might have $10,000 tomorrow. Some, somebody gave to our church and they had a Ferrari in their garage the next morning right? No, that didn't happen. Because he's not talking about the prosperity of getting things here. He's saying, look, there's, there's a harvest of righteousness. There's something that we don't fully comprehend right here of how we use our money and possessions here actually matters there in the life to come. Jesus wants to ensure our true prosperity. In Proverbs 23, 4, and 5, I love this. It says, don't wear yourself out to get rich because you know better. Stop! Exclamation point. Stop. As soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears. For it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. Worldly wealth flies away, but there's a true prosperity coming. Jesus, at the last chapter of your Bible, Revelation 22, he says, look, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. He ensures our true prosperity. The second thing is that Jesus, in the context of money, begins to talk about anxiety. It's almost like he knows what he's talking about, right? How many of you have felt that, right? You, you're, you're making decisions from month to month. You have that sort of surprise thing that happens or that expense you didn't expect or you're going to start you know, a new thing in your life. And then it's like all of a sudden, I, I had this happen uh, early on in marriage. I was trying to be the cool husband, and so I think I made a whopping like $24,000 per year as a college pastor. 
And I thought that was awesome, right? I was like, man, this is so great. They pay me money to do this. This is so great. And I, I just got married, and we would go. I'd like, babe, let's, let's go get dinner. Let's go to the movie, and then I'm going to take you to Target afterwards, right? And then on the 15th, I would look at my online banking account and be like, don't spend a dime, right? It was like Dr. Chagall, Mr. Hyde, okay? It was like good guy, bad guy. All of a sudden, it was all tied to fear about money. I wasn't using it rightly, and it created fear. And Jesus, what he wants to do is it's the second thing. He wants to free us from the grip of anxiety, Steve Cuss wrote a book called Managing Leadership Anxiety. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. He describes anxiety as a spiritual force. And he says that the part of our soul where we are aware of God is the very part of our soul that anxiety comes to invade and it clouds it. It's like we cannot even hear God or sense his nearness because we are so filled with anxiety. And I think he's right. We felt that before, right? When, when we're full of anxiety and money, I, I read some stats this week, 60% of Americans right before the pandemic, this was like 2018 to 2020, a survey of 19,000 Americans, they found that 60% of them said that their personal finances caused them anxiety on a regular basis. Okay, another 50% said that they use the word stressed. I'm not anxious, but I am stressed. So it creates worry, fear, anxiety. Jesus wants to free us from anxiety when it comes to money or possessions. So he says, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll wear, all the stuff you've got to buy, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? He talks about the birds of the, of the sky. He says we can't add a single moment to our life by worrying. He says to look at the wild flowers in the field as they grow. They don't even work, and yet look how beautiful they are. And he keeps saying this. Your father knows you need them. You're worth more than those things. Don't you believe he's going to take care of you? And he begins to push us back into faith, to trust God, and specifically to trust God with our money and our finances. Next week, I want to talk about God's peace plan. We're going to talk about the specifics of how should we use money and possessions. And so I'm, I'm excited to do that. But today, I just want to point out to the fact that Jesus has come to give us victory over that anxiety. And it happens by us taking our faith in him to provide and to care for us and putting that into a workable plan, an action plan. So the third thing, Verse 33, he begins to tell us that we can align ourselves with heaven's economy. Let's, let's look at this in verse 33. Here's what he says. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Seek first the, the kingdom. Now, that word first, the, the Greek is the word proton, which is a, it's a, a, a connection to the Latin root for our word priority, 
It literally means prioritize God's kingdom and his righteousness. Okay? His righteousness is doing what is right in his eyes. To prioritize doing what is right. And then he says this, all these things, which things? Well, the, the food and the clothing and the shelter and, and all the things that he just went through. He's like, hey, you can trust that your father will take care of you. But you need to prioritize the kingdom. See, here's the thing. When we live according to the Father's priorities, we can expect the Father's provision. In, Mal in, in, in Malachi 3, he says, look, the whole nation, literally the whole nation, is under a curse because my covenant people are withholding from me. Test me in this. If you do, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to bless you. You're going to be provided for. But if you don't, he's, he's telling them, look, if you will align yourself with me, just watch. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. And we have to align ourselves with heaven's economy. And we're going to see God's provision. I've seen this over and over and over again. Our church, this church was sent out by a church in Katy called Crossings Com Community Church. Amazing people. At the very same time that we were planting this church, they were starting a building campaign. And the pastor stood up and said, this doesn't make any sense. You should never do this. Right? You should never raise money for a church plant and raise money for a building. And guess what happened? They raised $1 million for that building, and they sent us out with $70,000 plus monthly support to get our church started. Amazing. That doesn't make sense for a congregation of 200 people to be able to do that. It just doesn't make sense. But that's how God's provision work, works. I, I had lunch with a, uh, a breakfast with a man who's visited a couple times. His name is Gary Foster. In fact, he lives right across the street. You can pray for Gary. He had a very bad injury uh, just a couple weeks ago. And so if you think about Gary, pray for him. But we had breakfast, and he works with this, this organization called Mercy Chefs. And they go into uh, natural disasters, and they, they bring a meal, but it's not just like, you know, saltines and soup. It's, they, they have a chef come and prepare like a meal to bless these people with. And he, I believe it was Katrina, he, he said that they came in and they said, hey, we just want to help. And they, they got a call, hey, we need meals for 500 people. They're like, awesome, 500 people. They hung up the phone, they're like, where are we gonna find the supplies to feed 500 people? Then a, another phone call comes, and it's like, hey, we have a, a, an 18-wheeler full of chicken. It's gonna go bad if we don't put it somewhere. The store that we were gonna you know, send it to is underwater, so we can't take it there. Could you use them? And they said, sure, uh, you know, how many chickens? And it was like... 250 chickens, so like half a chicken for every person. They're like, awesome, bring it on. So they, they hung up the phone, they got 250 chickens come, they're like, praise God, okay, where are we gonna find a kitchen to cook all this? And it's like, a phone rings again, hey, we've got this massive kitchen, uh, do you guys need it? And it's like, boom, 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 boom. It's like God's provision just began to flow because they were in the place where God wanted them to be. They, were, they, they had the kingdom priority. And here's what I believe. 
is that if we would begin to align ourselves with God's priority, even things that you're like, I don't know how we were able to make it through that month. I don't know how we got that bill paid off. It's like when we begin to align ourselves with heaven's priorities, we begin to experience heaven's provisions, okay? Jesus wants that for you. It does not glorify him when we're wringing our hands in fear and worrying anxiety. Lastly, it guards us from the dangers of idolatry. And this is the heart of the matter. Verse 21, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever you're making those deposits, storing up, like whatever you're treasuring in your heart, it's like that's where your love, your affection, your, your attention is there. He says later in verses, verse 24, you cannot serve both God and money. It's like it's binary. It's like God, money, right? If you want to be a, a follower of Jesus, but you, you don't want to like give money and possessions to him and to consider his plan for your, your, your stuff. It's like, he, it's just binary. It's like one or the other. We cannot serve both God and money. Augustine, a great thinker, he described it as disordered loves. It's like where we love less important things more and we love the more important things less. He said, this is idolatry. See, the danger of idolatry is this. We, we don't want to displease the Lord. Hey, we, we don't want judgment, right? That's bad. But it also has a soul-depleting effect on our lives. It, it's a waste of your life. It's the loss of vital connection to God, Jesus has come to save us from the idolatry of stuff that will actually wind up killing us. He's brought us a, be a better way. So why should God's plan matter to us? It ensures our true prosperity. It frees us from the grip of anxiety. It aligns us with heaven's economy and it guards us from the dangers of idolatry. We're gonna get into the specifics over the next weeks, but here's where I want us to land today. Here's what I want you to consider. The question that I just want you to be honest with yourself about, and it's this. Are you willing to truly let God's plan for money and possessions matter to you? That's a big question. But I think we all need to be very, very honest with ourselves. Am I willing to let God's plan for money and possessions really, truly matter to me. If, if you're gonna pray this morning, here's how I would just challenge you to pray. I would pray something like this. Jesus, you have my yes. As we sing before, I just wanna move your heart. I just wanna pour out my life for you. You could pray this, whatever it is that you want me to do with the things that you've entrusted to me, I'll do it.
I'm in. God, I'm in. I'm in for all the blessings that you have for me. I'm in for that, God. So all my stuff, tell me what to do with it. Because here's the thing, friends. Money can't rescue us. Did you know that money is not the hope of America? Money doesn't speak to you, doesn't know your name, it doesn't care for you, it can't comfort you, but there's one who can do all of that and more. Jesus, dying on a cross for you, loves you, rose to new life, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and his ways for us are life, and they are good. And so, as we close, I want to challenge you with this. Will you let his plan matter to you? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rind-church.org.